Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's scripture and sermon uh, broadcast. We've got a lot to talk about today, but before we begin, I think it's probably best if I take a moment to address the, uh, the elephant in the room. Now, if you're a regular follower of our little community, you probably noticed that we didn't actually have a sermon last week. Now, I could give you a bunch of different complex production reasons. I could try to elicit sympathy about how hard it is to produce all the different content we've been putting out while still trying to build an experimental church community. I could even talk to you about uh, how our brand new series, Remote Pastoral Care, available on Facebook, YouTube, and our podcast channel every Friday, has added to the workload even on top of the normal stuff. But you know what? The truth is, is that none of these things were what got in the way of putting out a sermon last week. Look, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, what got in the way of putting out a sermon last week was the fact that I had a really, really hard time writing this sermon. Now, normally when I put together a sermon, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward process. I take whatever Bible verse we've got set aside for the week, and then I tear through it looking to just figure out what it is that's in this passage that our little community really needs to hear from God this week. And sometimes, sometimes that message is really easy to find. It's sitting right there on the page, ready to be shaped, sharpened, and directed as comfort to the afflicted or affliction to the comfortable. Sometimes it lies buried deep beneath the surface, waiting for me to dig through rough layers of context and linguistic exegesis, following the word through red herrings and dead ends and misinterpretations, wrestling with the text like Jacob with the angel, trying to get what I need for the community while still honoring the immortal words of Captain Sisko himself. Try not to break any bones. So I'm sure you can guess which of the two it was this time. Yep, <laughs> you're right, it was the first one. The second I opened the text for this sermon, boy, I knew exactly what it was that God was asking me to preach from the text this time. The second I opened this book. It was sitting right there on the page, like some sort of demented pop-up, an inflatable knockover clown, just laughing at the idea that I might ever be able to knock it down and go on in my own way instead. Now, what I found waiting for me in the midst of John's gospel was this guy. Now, not Jesus per se, not, not the Jesus I know at any rate, but this personification of Jesus Christ as some sort of easygoing best friend figure. You know, the kind of dude bro who loves the same people you love and who hates the same people you hate and never fails to reinforce all your intrinsic biases and 
just the right way so that you never, ever, never, never, ever have to challenge yourself, never have to grow, and never even have to think about changing who you are as a person or how you walk through this world. In, in beholding this all-too-common idea of Jesus as our best buddy, I was confronted with this image, this belief that I gotta admit, I have well and truly come to hate. Now, this is a belief that's shared by quite a lot of us, this belief that Jesus wants of you, that all Jesus wants of you, all that God wants of you, is for you to be prosperous, wealthy even, for you to be emotionally satiated, well-fed to the point of soporific apathy, never questioning just how it has come to be that an eternal, almighty, transcendental deity might share the exact same set of oddly specific and self-serving goals as one particular sack of animated carbon-based monkey-shaped goo on a tiny rock on one tiny little corner of the infinity of creation. This belief, this belief holds that we can do anything. We can say anything, believe anything that we like. Because at the end of the day, God, is on our side. And not only is God on our specific personal side, but God is our absolute best friend and bestest or drinking buddy too, ready to slap us on the back in that appropriately manly, bandsaw-wielding, no-girls-allowed way that tells us in clear and convincing terms that this God fella, this almighty and omnipotent deity, would never even consider allowing us the slightest bit of personal discomfiture. Never once permit us to be challenged, scuffed, scraped, bumped, or bruised, and above all else, would never even think of condescending to us. You know, it's, it's this last bit, that last bit there that really, really gets me. Especially when you look around and see just how prevalent this idea has become that God would never condescend to us. I mean, this... This idea that God doesn't ask us to educate ourselves, doesn't value greater knowledge or wisdom, doesn't want us to be smarter, better, more knowledgeable, or better able to understand the nuance and complexity of either God or the world. Obviously, this idea has been a cornerstone of the evangelical and non-denominational church movements in recent decades, but it seeped its way into Protestant Christianity as well. This idea that God is a friend who doesn't condescend, this idea that feeling trumps knowledge, and that both God and the Bible are things that are fundamentally accessible in their fullness to us, made simple and comprehensible in whatever form it is we happen to encounter them. The idea that God exists and functions primarily at our own human level. In essence, it's a belief that we are all on the same level, that we are all equal to Almighty God. I have to admit that I tend to have a very, very visceral reaction to this idea. I, I still remember the first time that I heard someone say in church that they bless the name of the Lord. As a precocious young man, which you can read as, of course, an incredibly annoying 12-year-old kid, I understood that a blessing was something which was granted 
by a person in religious authority onto another person who held no such authority. A gift that flowed out as mystical condescension, moving spiritual energy from a place of power to a place of humble receptivity. And when I heard my dollar store knockoff excuse for a pastor stand in the place of worship and shout out with confidence that he had blessed the name of the Lord, well, <laughs> I have to admit, my reaction was less that of humble David of Israel and more that of angry David of regular one. Who in the hell do they think they are? Please be quiet. I remember myself in those moments and in the many moments that followed, staring in shock as the words of the Apostle Paul rose up to my heart and mind directly out of the book of Philippians, threatening to leap from my mouth like a pouncing predator formed of confusion and prophetic rage. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Look, if Jesus Christ, who was himself actually God, was unwilling to rise to the level at which he would grasp equality with God as some mere trifle, some small thing to be taken and assimilated and made otherwise normal as an aspect in his life, then what in the actual literal hell were we doing with this knee-slapping, beer-drinking, personal prejudice-reinforcing, side-by-side, Caucasian buddy Christ crap? God, in my mind, is meant to be venerated to be honored, to be looked upon with the same sort of wonder you might expect to see in the eyes of a die-hard astrophysicist. If you were to pluck him up from wherever he happens to be and transport them to the edge of creation, perch them on the lip of an asteroid with a view of the most beautiful stellar nursery in existence, and just let them watch the beautiful and incomprehensible truth of everything they've spent their whole life wondering about explode into wondrous and perfect being before their eyes. More perfect, more powerful, perhaps, even than that. That is how you're supposed to look upon God. That is what the basis for this relationship between humankind and God is supposed to be. How could you, how could you possibly ever think that God is your friend? But then I get a verse like this. A verse like today's that comes from the Gospel of John and... It just knocks me back on my sanctimonious butt. A reading from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name.
I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. I mean, Jesus says the thing right here. He says it outright. Right here in verse 14, he says, you are my friends. I see that. I read it and, man, I, I go through just so many feelings. Like a drunk roadrunner on methamphetamine going through the five stages of grief, I pinball between anger, despair, and general malaise before crash landing firmly in a state of abject bewilderment and utter confusion. Oh, and anger. Lots and lots of anger. I gotta admit, in times like these, I get pissed at the Bible. I'm angry, more at myself than anything, I guess, at the idea that I might have been wrong. I'm angry because it feels like some of the glory and majesty of God has been taken away from me in this space. I'm angry because I can almost hear the, the victorious crowing of every anti-intellectual, buddy-Christ-worshipping evangelical just delighting in my despair. But then I hear that whisper. The reminder that no matter how confusing it might be, it is the God of love who speaks out from this text, that the Holy Spirit lives and breathes through this text, and that in that space, I find myself doing the thing that we all have to do when we're confronted with the things that threaten to shatter our very concept of ourselves. I take a breath, and I stop, and I think. And then I do what I really didn't want to do in the first place. I open my heart to best buddy Christ, and I try to think about what that might look like. And I see in my mind's eye all of those evangelicals who treat Jesus Christ like their own personal ride-or-die drinking buddy, who constantly turn to God looking for a friend to reinforce their existing beliefs and support their hard, ingrained prejudices. I see all those who come to the foot of the cross looking for a friend who will whisper to them sweet promises of healings and miracles so they don't have to face painful realities or uncomfortable truths. I see people turning to Jesus for a friend who will constantly tell them that everything's fine, that everything will always be fine, and that they're good and perfect and wonderful just the way they are. No change, no work, no effort necessary. I take a moment and I hold all of that in my heart and my mind. And in that space, I come to a moment of divine realization. I don't actually think that it's wrong to see God as your friend. As much as I might hate to admit it, all of these people, these evangelicals, these nutjobs, these right-wingers and racists, they're not actually wrong in how they understand Jesus as a friend. No. They're wrong in how they understand what a friend is. I mean, this sort of asinine, enabling, self-congratulatory friendship that they turn to Christ for is the very definition of a toxic relationship. Think about it. If you had a friend who was constantly encouraging you to never change, never challenge yourself, never even try to bear fruit, and just sit there rootless at a hole in the ground withering, wondering like an incel why the rain never seems to fall on the nice trees. If you had a friend like that, literally everyone else in your life would be encouraging you to get out of that relationship immediately. Relationships like that are some of the most toxic, most damaging relationships that we can have as humans precisely because 
They play into our worst traits. They reinforce our worst habits and they amplify our basest and most destructive impulses. But every day, people turn their eyes upon Jesus and expect the Christ they find to be this kind of friend to them. But when Jesus turns to the apostles and says that he thinks of them now as friends, he's not doing it in this sort of toxic self-congratulatory mindset of banal enablement. He's inviting them to a place of genuine partnership. In this moment, Jesus tells the apostles that they are no longer in a place where they're going to be called upon to follow blindly, to do what God says simply because it's God who's saying so. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. This right here is the sign of a growing and maturing friendship. Jesus is telling the apostles, you know what I'm about. So I don't have to give you specific instructions anymore. I don't have to micromanage. You can figure this out for yourselves from the basic information. And it's worth noting, by the way, that this position of friendship, this new context for the relationship, it does not stop Jesus from speaking in the language of authority, the language of a teacher. He continues to explain that he has appointed them to the task of going and bearing fruit in the world. He doesn't doff his education, set aside his priestly role, and stop being their Messiah at that moment. If anything, he becomes even more of those things. Because as friends, they're able to recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus' role is, both in their community and in the world. As friends, they recognize that a relationship which evolves into a friendship like this doesn't immediately result in the disillusion of authority. It might not ever result in that. Like the moment where you first become friends with your boss. Or when you find yourself spending an evening gaming with your pastor, which is a thing that you totally can do. Or maybe it's uh, like a, a moment I recently had where I found myself giddily riding motorcycles with an old mentor. Just like that, they realize that the equality of authority isn't what's on the table here with being friends. It's an equality of welcome, an equality of responsibility, and an equality of presence. When we grasp friendship with God in this way, we don't immediately become like God. We don't suddenly arrive at a point where we don't need no education, where we don't need to continue to explore the depths of God's infinite identity or the fullness of our own role in God's constantly unfolding work in the world. No, in this space we become beloved partners in the work, burdened with glorious purpose, called to join Christ at both table and workbench as architects of God's love at work in the world. We're not called friends because Jesus comes down to our level. We're called friends because we follow God's commandments, not as servants, but as partners in God's work of love in the world. So I guess, I guess this is my way of making peace with the old buddy Christ. And I hope in this that you might realize too that we don't lose anything 
by embracing a friendship with the Almighty. But I hope you can also see that this friendship is not without its responsibility. That being friends with Christ means following Christ in word and in deed, growing in the depth of our understanding of who God is, and committing ourselves to doing God's work, not just in our own lives, but in the whole world around us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has a greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. My friends, it was Christ who laid down his life for all of us, for his friends. And in being Christ's friend, we are called to, to lay down our own lives in service to others as well. Let's get to it. So if you've listened this far, I want to thank you for listening on to the end of the video. In just a moment here, we're going to go on to a time of prayer suggestion. Uh, we're going to listen to some of the ideas and suggestions that have been brought forward for prayer in our community this week. Some things that you can meditate on and think through. When we come back for that, I'm going to leave you with a couple of announcements and that'll be it for the day. So for now, I want to invite you to take a moment and join with me in hearing about where we can put our prayers best to work this week. One of the more difficult things about a community that is as separated as we all are in different countries and in different times is that it's really hard to find a way to come together in prayer. On top of that, for a lot of the members of our community, the more ritualized forms of prayer can be a little triggering. Uh, ritual often is more of a hindrance than a help for some of us, especially to people who have been hurt by the church communities in their lives. So today we're going to try to do something a little bit different. The truth is that a lot of us pray in different ways. Some of us do well with rote, memorized, formulaic prayers, while others are more improvisational. Others still pray with music or via mindfulness or meditation in nature. All of these and more are viable ways to pray. On our Discord server, we have a channel specifically for prayer, and I want to invite you to join us there to discuss the how and why of prayer, and to share your own prayer needs if you feel so called. For today, what I'm going to do is briefly walk us through some, some suggestions about things where your prayers could be most needed this week. These are things that you can take to our server for discussion and prayer together, or take into your private space and pray, in your own way, however best connects you to God in that moment. So I'm going to read through our list of suggestions for prayer now. If you feel called in this moment to join in prayer here and now, feel free. Otherwise, please take this time to hold these ideas in your heart and mind, so you can take them to God in whatever time and place is more comfortable for you. One of the first things we always lift up in prayer in this community are the hurts suffered by so many at the hands of white supremacy, religious fundamentalism, American nationalism, bigotry, racism, homophobia, transphobia, and hatred in all its myriad forms. As a community who worships a God who is love, we stand in direct opposition to any belief that holds some as less than others. We pray for those who suffer needlessly under the burdens of poverty, both in the world at large and in the Western world, where we understand that our poverty still stands leagues above those who suffer around the world. 
We know that we live in a world where none need want for anything, but still do because of the greed of some. We pray that we might find ways to confront the greed that runs rampant across our world and to seek to lift up those who suffer needlessly as a result. We pray for the world itself, which suffers from that greatest disease of all, the human desire for convenience and comfort. When we pray, we ask that God might inspire us to confront our own discomfort, our own apathy, and move us to find ways not only to challenge our own habits, but to push the corporations and nations we are a part of to confront their own habits and policies as well. So we might have some chance of stopping the damage dealt to this world in which we live. We also pray for the individual struggles being experienced by the members of our own community, many of whom don't feel comfortable sharing or making public the things with which they wrestle every day. Some of our numbers struggle with physical diseases or psychological challenges, others with the crushing weight of emotions like anxiety, grief, or depression. Others still struggle through the weight of things that they have said or done to others in the past, or with the raging uncertainty of whether they are doing the right thing now or will in the future. Others still struggle with the burdens of feelings they can't even yet confront, which they're not ready to or able to bring to the light. All of these daily difficulties seem mundane to us in the light of greater challenges facing the world at large, but to each of us as individuals, they can seem far more devastating, far more overwhelming than anything the larger world might have to offer. If you have a moment, you can pray a prayer for Thanksgiving for John and Kelly, who we mentioned last week. He made it through his surgery and is recovering well. We can pray thanks to God for skilled doctors, wonderful medicine, and swift healing. You might also find, as you spend time in prayer, that other needs and concerns come to mind. Feel free to explore these things too as they come up. God works in our hearts during prayer in interesting ways, and we don't all experience it the same way. Embrace your time with God as valid, and don't try to force yourself to experience prayer in some way you think is correct. Our God is one who rejoices in who you are, and how you interact with the world is part of that. One of the great joys of prayer is the knowledge that God is meeting you where you are. As you pray this week, I hope you'll take the time to embrace that. So as you go out into the world this week, I want you to keep these prayers in mind. Keep the people and ideas and everything else that we've been asked to pray for. Keep them close to heart and close to mind. And keep your eyes open for ways that you can carry those prayers forward into loving action in the world. In the meantime, one of the things you can do this week is to be involved as a part of our community. Uh, our community does most of its work on a Discord server, uh, which is a place where we get together online for a constant exchange of text messages and comment threads. And we even have voice and video chat sometimes, too. That is the core of our community, and I really want to invite you to join us there. You don't have to be a member of our church in order to participate. Anyone is welcome to be a part of this community, whether you're a part of our community or a part of some other community, or just looking for a good conversation. You are welcome to join us in our online space. If you're looking for more videos and stuff like that, we got a few that come out every week. On Thursdays, we have our Psalms from the Trail series, which is where I get out to a trail, assuming the uh, state of emergency <laughs> lets up lately. It's been psalms from the playground or psalms from my living room. But we do sit down and read through the psalms. Uh, we're getting, I think we just did Psalm 15 
So we're still early on and there's a lot more to come. On Fridays, we have our new series I mentioned earlier, Remote Pastoral Care, where I get together with uh, one or more of the people in our community or friends of our community to talk about some of the bigger questions in our faith and our personal histories. Uh, those are posted on YouTube, Facebook, and on our podcast stream as well. So feel free to check that out. And of course, Sundays we have our scriptures and sermon, which you certainly know about because you're watching this video and or listening to this on our podcast stream. Lastly, on Saturday evenings, we have our Saturday time of check-in where we all get together and just talk and see how we're doing. Uh, that's on our Discord server as well, 10.30 p.m. Japan time, uh, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time if you're uh, in the American East Coast. And I want to encourage you to join us for that as well. It's a great time. Uh, it's a good time of fellowship. Lastly, and really most importantly, I just want you to know that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you are, no matter when you are, no matter what you might be struggling with, that you are in my prayers and that God is with you this week too. Take care. Thank you.